founders, welcome to another episode of the Gab Lab, the show that is designed to bring you financial inf information that will not only blow your mind, but it will build your bottom line. Today's episode is championed by our friends at Community Futures Manitoba, with over 16 offices across the province to help you build your business and nail your numbers. And today we are in the lab with Bruce Winder, president of Bruce Winder Retail and uh, author, right? The book just came out, Retail Before, During and After COVID-19. I love that you have it behind you, Bruce, because I don't right have to go me. to my notes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very strategic. Very strategic. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, we were just talking about this, but Bruce, you... You really are one of Canada's leading authorities on the topic. If anybody watching Googles you, like there's so much value and content that you have out there, BNN, CBC, CBC, CTV, Global, um, Financial Post, Global Mail, like it's just, it's everywhere. So uh, making you. the time to be You're going to make Thank me you. blush. Thank you very oh. much. So guess what? Well, today we're talking about retail. If, if you haven't guessed it and you're watching, you're tuning in at the right time. If you have a retail business, uh, this is an episode that you don't want to miss. And Bruce is going to share with us um, three important, well, lots of important stuff. But as always, we're going to break it down into three components for you. So the first component is really going to be about the state of retail that we've been seeing in Canada and the future. Like, where are we now? and Where's this going? The second section, we're going to talk a little bit about what you can do now so that you're here for the future of retail and then the third section I've had the great uh, great privilege of, of uh, speaking to Bruce before the call he's got some really wild crazy brilliant ideas on things that you can do that are out of the box that may just be what you need to to keep you in the game all right so Bruce where are we at where is retail at in Canada right now yeah, well, thanks very much for having me too on the program. I really appreciate it. Um, obviously, retail's in a very tough spot right now. Um, it's going to depend on who you are. Obviously, if you're a big box, you're probably doing not bad, especially if you're a big box in the food industry um, or you've been allowed to remain open. But for most of the businesses in the country, the small businesses, um, you know, depending on where you're located, um, you've had your door closed for a while. And it, it's been a really, really challenging time. I mean, what we've noticed, obviously, when this thing hit about a year ago, is that there was a huge flight toward e-commerce. So e-commerce sales overall in Canada pretty much doubled. Um, and um, a lot of folks uh, didn't have a website, believe it or not. A lot of folks didn't have that capability because they were based on, you know, the in-store experience, which is, which is rightly so. They were differentiating themselves from the big players. But a lot of folks had to jump on and get a website very quickly. Um, they had to pivot to having a website. Um, a whole new business, a lot of people, a lot of small to medium sized companies had to pivot to curbside pickup as well, which is a whole different way of flowing products. Um, and uh, the assortment changed. I mean, if you look at consumers, consumers obviously stopped going to work in, in some cases and stopped wearing dress clothes and stopped going to restaurants and stopped going you know, on trips and a whole bunch of other uh, businesses that are really important and started staying at home more. And we saw the growth of outdoor products like barbecues and patio sets and bicycles. And we saw people cook at home more um, and buy all kinds of ingredients, flour and things that, you know, are basic staples from, from houses of old. And, um, and you also saw people invest in their home more with uh, office furniture, computers, 
things like that. So we really saw an assortment change as well um, during that time. So the assortment um, and then um, just the, um, the, the means and methods of, of buying. So all exactly. angles. Yeah, I mean, it really changed. And, and you know, the, uh, some folks, unfortunately, bowed out right away. There were some bankruptcies, especially in the U.S., but in Canada, too, we had some bankruptcies, mostly sort of middle retailer folks, folks who maybe had a pretty tough balance sheet to start with. Yeah. And uh, this kind of pushed them over the edge. So, um, you know, it was a very sad time. There was a lot of, um, you know, street fights, so to speak, with with landlords, between landlords and retailers in terms of, well, you know, what do I pay for rent? Should I pay the full thing? Should I pay half of it? Can I defer it? And then at the same time, governments were attempting to help people through a number of measures, some better than others. Um, there were some significant issues with the, uh, the rent issue, the landlord issue in terms of the government subsidizing uh, retailers. And I think their heart was in the right place, but uh, it took a real long time to get that going. In fact, it wasn't even really going to the fall. So that was a pretty big drain on a lot of small businesses cash flow was having to continue to pay rent. Now that varied obviously depending on the relationship with their landlord and the situation, but a uh, really tough time to be in retail. Yeah, no doubt. I, it, it feels like right now that you have to be relevant, right? Your product has to be relevant. It is, you have to have some of it's luck, you know, cause you happen to be in the right category at the right time during this, this uh, storm, if you will. But you do, you have to be incredibly relevant to your consumers um, because, you know, they've, they've, they've significantly shifted what they buy and how they buy it. And if you don't have a great online program and you don't have the right products uh, or the right and the right services that they need, then they're going to go elsewhere pretty quickly, unfortunately. Yeah. So what are you thinking of now with respect to the future of retail? Where do you see that landing? Yeah, the future, I mean... You know, retail, yeah, retail, I mean, everyone says, is retail dead? Retail's not dead. Retail's never going to die. It's been around forever and it's going to be around forever. It just, it's going to look different a little bit when this thing is done. You're probably going to see, at least in the short term, a consolidation of power where you're going to see even more power in the big stores, the big box stores, unfortunately. Um, you're also going to see uh, online folks get bigger. Um, you're going to see a number of people um, probably have to close their shop permanently. Um, but there's also going to be a number of people who are going to reopen and open stronger and better. And there's going to be a number of people who open with new concepts that are built for the storm, you know, capital light concepts. Maybe if they close their store, they might open a website and start, you know, selling only online. Um, you're going to see, um, uh, you know, uh, consumers are probably going to be mixed. You know, some consumers are going to have the time of their life after this because they're going to want to spend every dollar that they've had to save because they couldn't go out. They're going to want to travel. They're going to want to party. They're going to want to eat at restaurants. You know, it's going to be like the roaring twenties, right? That's what they say is after this, like the 1918 pandemic consumers, you know, really had a good time in the, in the 1920s. Well, it's going to be like that in the 2020s, but at the same time, there's also going to be a new frugality where consumers, a lot of consumers, unfortunately got hit by this. They lost whatever savings they had. They may have lost their job too. Um, and a lot of people are in a lot of debt. So you're going to see um, a, a, a thrift, really a flight to value again. You know, the folks in the dollar store segment, the folks at the lower end of retail, used products, thrift stores, they're going to do really well after this as well. And just out of curiosity, when we look at, uh, I know in the tech sector, I think it's called FANG, right? Where yes. we take Facebook and um, is there an equivalent in retail where we've got those kind of incumbents? I know I'm thinking of Walmart and Costco's and those ones that it was just so hard to compete against, but is there yeah, an that's equivalent? That's a great idea. 
That's a great one. Actually, I should take that. You just coined something very fabulous. I'm going to use you on my next TV interview because that's a great idea. But, you know, there probably isn't. But if you had to in Canada, you would look at, you know, you would have Walmart, you would have Amazon, you would have Canadian Tire. Um, depending on what category and you'd also have Loblaws and right. Sobeys and Metro right. uh, and Costco um, and Home Depot, you know, and those are sort of the big ones, you know, maybe Dollarama at the low end um, and H&M maybe at the, you know, in the low end clothing. So it depends what category, but there definitely is these big, big companies. And a lot of the big companies have actually done a lot better during this time because their balance sheet was super strong mm. and they were able to sort of arm wrestle landlords and in some cases, they had preferential treatment to stay open, unfortunately. Um, and that's that's really created a windfall for them. Right. For the emergency services. Right. Or the, exactly. yeah, getting the food. But you bring up a really important point that, again, I just want to hammer home for those that are listening. You, I know you're all probably really tired of me hearing saying this, but the balance sheet, the profit. Like profit is not a dirty word. You need to be making no. it. That's why these big companies are able to weather the storm because they had net profit. Bruce, do you have any idea of what their net profit would look like as a percentage? Or is that too tough a question to kind of nail down? No, it's going to vary a lot. I mean, if you look at some of the big players, their net their net income, you know, from operations is going to be anywhere between probably, you know, uh, if, they're, if they're not doing that great, it's going to be like 5%. If they're doing pretty well, it's going to be around 15%. Wow. Um, so they make money. They know how to make money. And they're yeah. ruthless in terms of making money, you know, in terms of they'll do whatever they have to do to make a buck. Right. And let's let's just remind everybody listening that is five to 15 percent, including healthy salaries, including exactly. bonuses, including exa- right? Like big it's got all the expenses in there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> founders. Hmm. OK, um, so if so with all of this, it, it feels like it's somewhat hard to compete against a big business, knowing the other thing I've seen to, and I, you know, I, I try to. Uh, if I can, and I don't need it right away, I definitely look to support a small local business, mm-hmm. but these big companies and their turnaround delivery time, including shipping, mm-hmm. it's making it harder and harder for these smaller guys to, to compete against that. Is, are you seeing that just increasing or what are you seeing on that side? Yeah, it's, it's a really tough time because, you know, historically the little guy and the little girl, so to speak, would use uh, customer service and in-store experience to differentiate from the big folks. And with a lot of the stores closed, uh, very difficult to do that. Um, very difficult to differentiate on product, very difficult still to keep that relationship going. It, re- it takes a lot more work and it's a little harder to do. So it's been tougher for smaller, uh, smaller retailers because they don't have the opportunity to leverage that one-to-one relationship they normally have. Right. I think the other disadvantage, tell me what you're seeing here. I've personally been seeing it when I go to Loblaws or when I go to Walmart. seems like all these big box stores are getting into every area. Home decor, fitness equipment. It's not just food anymore. It's not just their category. They're competing on every category, it seems. They really are. It's a great point. And I mean, you know, those big retailers already have, call it X million people coming through their doors every week. And they're trying to capitalize on that. And a lot of them have tried to capitalize on what we've seen during the pandemic where people are buying more fitness equipment because gyms are closed and they're cooking more and they're putting more money into their homes. So these folks have sort of taken advantage of that and they want to squeeze every dollar they can from that shoppers coming in every week to get their groceries or what have you. Yeah, it kind of feels like they're squeezing out the small 
business in the interim, Sometimes, right? yeah, it's true. So what, what advantages do you think a small business has over the large one? You mentioned customer service back in the day mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they were able to open their doors. What advantages do you see them having right now that they might be able to leverage? I know we'll talk a, le- a little bit more about this in the next segment, but sure. just from a high-level perspective, what would you say are their, their tools in their toolkit right now? Probably a couple things. One is um, the fact that they're local and that they're small because there's a really big movement right now. And there was a movement before, but it's really big now during the pandemic to buy local and to buy from your local store. Because people realize that, you know, by buying something, you're not paying for the CEO's next yacht. You're paying for someone's well-being down the street. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity to market local um, and uh, try to help people. I think there's also an opportunity to move quickly. Um, because big companies are sort of like the Titanic. It takes a long time to turn. It takes a long time to move. So you have an opportunity to try new things and you know, test a few things really quickly. It can be a test for one day for a new product. Um, so you have the ability to move really quick. And I do think you still have the ability you know, to really get personal with your customers because let's face it, when you go to a big box store, they try to act like they're personal with you but it's really a bunch of kids who are in high school who don't really want to be there, who are serving you. And, you know, you're going there more because of the price and because of the assortment. Um, So there's an opportunity to actually connect one-on-one from a people side. And that's a real big differentiator, I think as well. Oh, Bruce, so valuable. So I'm hearing connection. um, I'm hearing keep it personal, right? Being able to to emote with people on the level Mm -hmm. that they're at. And this is a really good point that you brought up just their, their speed. Their, yeah. their, their nimbleness, right? Yeah. To just like pivot and pivot next week, not exactly. pivot in, in, in five months. I did actually hear today that HBC, Hudson Bay mm-hmm. Company, is actually moving to this online marketplace now. Yeah. So kind of getting out of the e-commerce story, but it, it becomes more of their shopping, their virtual shopping experience online, which took them a year. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, for all those small businesses owner, business owners out there, that, um, that, that pivot and, and yeah. just being swift with it. All right, well, thank you for that. I, you know, some really valuable insight um, and understanding the future, I guess not any of us can predict it right now, but if we look at the past six months, you know, and we kind of chart forward for the next six months, um, looking to see how we can stay a part of that. So this will take us through to, to part one, because um, you're gonna join us here for part two, which is really all about what you can do right now to make sure that you're in the game for the long run. Um, So Bruce, thanks for being here for part one. Thanks again to our episode champions, Community Futures Manitoba. We're going to go grab a quick uh, coffee and we'll see you back in here for part two. Right, founders. Hello, welcome back. If you're just joining us, we are here with Bruce Winder, president of Bruce Winder Retail and author of the book Retail Before, During and After COVID-19. Welcome back, Bruce. Great to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Okay, so part two founders, um, listen up because this is all about the things that you can do in your business right now to make sure that you are around for the future of retail. And I thought it might be interesting to kind of break out these suggestions 
as they pertain to, you know, my favorite, a cash flow and a balance sheet. So top line cost of goods and then into operating. So top line is all about the sales piece of it, the revenue, the pricing. What suggestions do you have for founders in terms of remedies or solutions for those top line uh, issues? Yeah, it's a great point. And I mean, obviously, everything top line will drive everything. You have to take care of your expenses and everything below that. But you can't do much unless you have a healthy top line. And I mean, you know, if you're in a if you're in a location where you've been open, you've been blessed. But if you're in a a location where you haven't been open or you haven't been open recently, it's really tough. And I think the key thing and some of this sounds like, um, you know, like it's pretty obvious, but there are some folks who aren't doing some of these things is make sure that you do have an e-commerce set up if it if it makes sense for your goods. A lot of people, like literally hundreds of thousands of Canadian businesses, did not have an e-commerce set up for their business. Like we talked about in part one, they really wanted that experiential and sort of bring the customer in, which made a lot of sense. But times have changed a bit now. So I really think you need to have an e-commerce, a robust e-commerce program. Um, You may also want to piggyback on some of the marketplaces and sell your products, maybe on Amazon or, you know, uh, Shopify has an app. Facebook Marketplace, Kijiji, like wherever you can reach a lot of people, because you might be able to sell things outside of your trade area too. You know, if you can get online, you might sell it to people all over Canada, and suddenly you're you're accessing a big market with e-commerce. And with that, you have to just make sure that you have you know the infrastructure to ship and things like that. Make sure you have curbside pickup. Again, that's not too hard to do. A lot of the software from the companies now will help you do that. Um, and then try to look at your assortment. Try to look at what products and services you're offering. Now, we're kind of, you know, still in the midst of this, but, you know, find out from your customers, um, you know, what should I be selling? What do you need right now? Look at your numbers and find out which part of your assortment is doing really, really well. The old 80-20 rule. And don't be afraid to pare down your inventory a bit. You know, get rid of some of those items that aren't moving. Just don't replace them right now. Uh, A lot of retailers are operating at sort of an 80-20 assortment where they're only operating 20% of their lineup because it's 80% of their sales for efficiencies. Look for new products too. You know, I used the example of a restaurant. I think it was out West and they were a restaurant and they were forced to close and people love their sauce, their spaghetti sauce. So what they did is they actually started canning their spaghetti sauce and selling it as a separate item and generating revenue. Um, There's a lot of restaurants who are selling groceries. Um, Find out what your customers want. Your customers want to keep you in business. They want you around. So find out from them, you know, what can I carry that you need? And then work with a distributor, work with someone small, to turn quickly because that's your advantage is you can you can pivot quickly and you know to try some of these products put some on your website maybe you can do a deal with a supplier to do it on consignment where you don't have to pay for the inventory until it sells so you know try new things like that but it's all about getting in front of the customer offering the services they need you know delivery curbside pickup online um, and and try to come up with you know different types of promotions to protect your your top line oh. So much I want to dive into there. Can you just clarify the 80-20 with the inventory? Yeah, management? sure. So so one of the things that I that happened right away, actually, when this thing hit, is suppliers all around the world and retailers, if you look at your assortment, most assortments in the world follow sort of an 80-20 rule, Pareto's law, which means if you look at your sales numbers, about 20% of your line in terms of product count represents about 80% of your sales. It's not always that way, but it's similar. A lot of folks these days are saying, let's get rid of the tail ends. Let's just work with that 20%, maybe it's 30% and really turn your inventory and sell the basics and sort of stop buying the stuff on the fringe. You'll get better returns financially for yourself and make your cash flow work harder. 
And you can take some of those dollars that you would have used in your budget to maybe try some new items based on what your customers want right now, whether it's PPE or other types of products, cleaning products, yeah. et cetera. It, it comes to mind too, right away, just the carrying costs on that 80% that isn't moving, exactly. right? That typically came in with a loan, right? For a small business owner. So exactly. moving that. One question though for you, if they're going to move out that inventory, would you recommend they do it under their banner? Because does that maybe symbolize that oh, it's a blowout sale or they're, you know, they're trying to liquidate and, and what are your thoughts on that? And just in terms of moving out, like rapidly moving out that inventory that isn't moving? Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I mean, there's a couple of ways to do it. One is you can have a little clearance section in your store. You can put a sign that says clearance, or you can see if your supplier will take some back. Usually suppliers are pretty tough. They won't do that, but you can always try. Um, or just let it run out, but don't replenish it. Just okay. let it run out regular, but don't replenish it. Okay. And what are you seeing? Uh, I consider this still top line. We're getting into pricing a little bit, but mm -hmm. what are you seeing from a discount? I'm not a big fan of discounting, quite honestly. I yeah. think it discounts yeah. value. Yeah. But what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you just have to check the marketplace. What's happening right now in a lot of areas is there's a lot of folks who are discounting less. A lot of the big retailers are actually discounting less because they don't have to. They're taking advantage of that traffic because people are less price sensitive right now. They are and they aren't. If you lost your job, you're price sensitive. You're going to Dollarama in place. But there's a lot of people who maybe haven't lost their job that aren't as price sensitive. And you can, um, you can mark to the market wherever the market is pricing that commodity be within a certain zone of that. And you might not have to do as much discounting because people are more into convenience right now and safety, right? And maybe supporting local. So don't feel you have to discount too much. You might want to look at your discounts and see if you can save a little bit of money by not discounting as much. Okay, so I heard some really important things in there that I just want to reiterate. So A, know your market, know if they are going to be that customer that has the extra funds because they haven't been spending it on eating out and they still have their jobs and their security there. Um, or are they the ones that have lost their jobs and are looking for those, those bargain deal basements, basement bargain deal. Um, and then the second piece that I heard that was really important is understand what those incumbents are actually charging at, exactly. right? Those major dealers and charge somewhat accordingly to that. Like yeah. A lot, a lot of people have raised their prices too. There's been a lot of price raising, uh, price increases. So just really before you set your pricing, look around, do a quick competitive shop and see what you can get in the market optimize your margins. Super smart. Okay. Anything else on top line? I think that's it right that's, now. Okay. Really great suggestions there. Cost of goods, otherwise known as money you are out of pocket to sell <laughs> that product, just a 101. Everybody's yeah. on the same page. This often, obviously with our, our retail, this is the cost of the product itself. You mentioned something really important in our discovery call. And I, I love it. I've shared it a couple of times since then. Everyone needs to share the risk Absolutely. right now. And the pain. And the pain. So can you expand and elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it is the time um, like never before to say to your partners, whether it's your landlord, your suppliers, uh, maybe not your customers, but other people who you do business with, your utility providers, anyone who you, who you are their customer, okay? Um, it is time for them to help you and reduce your fees, negotiate lower rates, um, negotiate deferred payments, negotiate anything you can get, maybe uh, freebies, but something to share the pain. Because this is not meant, this, this should not be a situation where the, the little retailer is bearing the full brunt of this, okay? Um, your suppliers need to help you. Your landlords need to help you. Your service providers need to help you. 
everyone will. And if someone won't, it might be a good time to see if it, you can switch because there's a lot of people who are moving around right now. So, so don't be shy about it. Don't be afraid to, to say, look, I need help. I've been with you for years. I've always paid on time. I've been a good customer to you. This is the time I need to cash in some of those favors. You need to help me. Nice. I think that's very smart. I, what I see a lot of founders not do is not even put out the ask. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, could you lower it by 1%? Could you throw in shipping? Could you, right. They don't even ask. And so it's incredible what you can get when you ask. I was a buyer for 10 years at Canadian tire. And you, when you ask, you get, if you don't ask, obviously you don't get, You're not right. Get. So, you know, don't be shy about asking. This is the time to get aggressive like that. What about, um, are you seeing any direct ship models where they hold on to the inventory but then they do the direct ship so you 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 kind of save on that a bit yeah that's another good point too is you can say look supplier you know i'm going to list your products on my website or supplier you know i'm going to show one in my store um but i'm not going to take any inventory um you know you can give me a display model free of charge and then if i get an order you can ship directly from your facility to the customer's house and you pick up the shipping and it's not unreasonable to do that because remember, you own the real estate. If you have a store, you own the real estate. If it's, you have a website, it's your real estate online. You can you can you know negotiate to say, look, I'll put some of these extra products on here, but you you do the shipping if they're if they're hit. And you might do something like I said, where you get a free display item in your store. Okay. One to show, and then you know several to go, except the go are from the supplier's warehouse. And on the subject of shipping knowing that that seems to be a huge competitive advantage for a lot of these, these big businesses, the turnaround time and that shipping is free with everything. It seems like what would you suggest a small business owner look at? Should they bundle the shipping into the price, which then increases the price or any thoughts, or have you seen any innovation there? Yeah. I mean, it's a real tough one because that's such a commoditized piece of, of the supply chain now is the free shipping. I mean, one thing I would say be careful of is the big, if you're a restaurant, be careful about the big food apps because they charge a lot of money, 30% for some of those things. That's sad. You know, what I would probably do is look and see if you can get someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a student who has their license who can do this on the side and do deliveries for you. Maybe you can do deliveries every day at a certain point yourself where you leave the shop on the way home and drop them off yourself. Anything you can do to lower that cost. You're going to have to be competitive. So there is no silver bullet. You can either... You know, if your margins warrant, you can include shipping in it. But if you're just one of those businesses that can't, you have to charge for shipping. But people are used to it now. People are used to paying for shipping, uh, for grocery and things. And I know the big folks have free shipping, but you know what? There's reasons that some people don't want to buy from the big folks. So you have to be competitive with them, but try to find an angle, whether it's yourself doing the shipping or, uh, you know, a teenager or someone. There's a lot of people, believe it or not, looking for work right now. And maybe you could do a posting where someone has a car and their license and they can deliver for you at a reduced rate. So smart. So smart. Okay. Um, I guess last little piece on cost of goods. This is one of my pet peeves is merchant fees and transaction fees attached to those expenditures that I usually see in operating expenses, but (laughs) should be up in cost of goods. And now with online, right? I, I doubt that many founders are calculating that cost and then that's just coming off their net profit any innovations there anything you're seeing no i wish i had that i mean that's really you know that's really an oligopoly where you have the big credit card providers and they and canada pays the highest fees some of the highest fees in the world and the government's negotiated with them they said they'd bring them down and they stalled so it's a really sad state of affairs to be honest i don't really have a silver bullet for that a lot of people don't want to do cash right now for obvious reasons because of the virus but anything you can do with that you know 
Um, you know, I really don't have any silver bullet for that one, unfortunately. Um, it's just one of those costs of doing business. You're going to have to find other ways, unfortunately, to try to uh, save some money. Um, so I guess, you know, what I'm hearing then is really just make sure that you're factoring into your cost of goods and your pricing strategy. So you're not taking a bath on the merchant fees at the, uh, at the end of the, the end of the quarter. I think right. so, unfortunately. Okay, so that's our cost of goods. Now we move into operating expenses. And I love to kind of categorize based on team of personnel, space and operating, sales and marketing. So anything that you're seeing businesses do differently with their staff? And well, one, one thing to make sure you're taking advantage of, again, again, this sounds like the obvious, but make sure you're taking advantage of any and all government re rebates and subsidies right now. So the government has wage, um, you know, they'll give you part of the employee wages up to a point. They'll help you with rent. They'll help you. That's just a general comment, but I know it takes a lot of time and the forms aren't user-friendly, but see if you can just spend one night and just go through them all because there could be some money there that you can get. And you might get lucky. You know, there could be pressure for government to relieve, to, to offer some um, of these loans uh, that turn into grants. So I would be sort of taking some of these loans now because you never know, like some of it is forgivable already. I could see the government sort of saying, you know what, we've changed our mind. Instead of it being 25% forgivable, it's 50% forgivable. But you only get that benefit if you've taken advantage of those subsidies, right? So I would make, say, make sure you do that. It's a tough one with the team right now. Um, you know, that, that's probably the best thing I can think of is use the government subsidies for wages. Um, yeah. That's probably the best thing because, you know, your staff are having a hard time too. They're scared about going to work. Um, many of them have lost their jobs already. I don't really see anything there in terms of best practices to cut anything from a staff standpoint. Uh, it's a real tough one. I wonder though, as you were talking, an idea that came to mind is just with, I know that some of the provinces now are offering subsidies in the area of um, uh, professional development, learning, education, training, sure, right? Yeah. And so, you know, maybe there's a way that you might be able to, um, you know, negotiate on salary, but in exchange for that, that you get training in other areas, which is subsidized. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it all depends on whatever you can work out with your staff, yeah. right? I mean, you know, if, if it's a manager, um, some some managers have taken pay cuts during this time. Right. Um, you know, it's tough. No one wants to do that. But yeah. if it means the difference between having a job and, you know, having a 25% pay cut for six months versus not having a job at all, the manager might see it that way. Tougher right. to do with people, you know, near the minimum wage level for obvious reasons. But if you have someone who's a manager who's making a pretty decent salary, they might be willing to do that, or they might be willing to put in some extra hours voluntarily to help out, you know, to try to get you through this tough time. Yeah, I would hope too that this is a time where every employee is stepping up and doing like going all out, giving it a hundred percent, right? Yeah, like exactly. I would hope. I would hope. Um, okay, so space and uh, space and operating. Oh, there's probably a lot in space right now. I would imagine you must be seeing a lot of businesses kind of reinvent their space or try to sublease their space. Any innovations that you're seeing in that area? Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned a couple now, but um, some people you're right have actually sort of taken some space and started to add um, local crafts from suppliers. So maybe they live in a market and they're selling something, and there's local artisans. They may allow the artisans to sell some things on consignment to take advantage of space. Definitely the rearranging though of the store to make it safe so that there's lots of space for people to walk, mm. safe for staff, um, and so it can breathe a bit. Obviously that's not the best from a profit standpoint because if you have it too sp spatial, then you don't have enough merchandise. So it's that fine line between you know um, space and having a tight assortment. 
But if you cut your inventory back, like we said to the 80-20 rule, it might give you enough space to sort of make it breathe a bit more. But I would say, um, you know, look at, like I said, look at other businesses that your customers are desiring right now that they would endorse you to get into temporarily or permanently, where you can add some space in your store with new assortments. Um, and maybe some of that can be through consignment through, through some vendors that helps you with your cash flow. Or, you know, maybe just have a display sample if it's a bigger item, but get creative. You know, a lot of people are looking for fitness products. A lot of people are looking for PPE. Um, a lot of people are looking for home goods right now. As the weather turns, they'll be looking for summer goods and summer toys to entertain kids. So, you know, kind of try to get in front of it where you can, um, because, you know, we're going to still be, it's going to be a little messy here till the fall. So, you know, anticipate what kind of products your consumers would need and ask them. See if they would support you if you bought, if you brought in a line of it. I wonder too, Bruce, with the, the future of retail, if we're going to move into the space where our retail space really becomes more of a showroom. Yeah. Right, where you've got one of everything and then it just drops ship on the, I, what are your thoughts on that? I think you're bang on. I think that's right because, you know, um, let's face it, more and more business is moving online and it's going to keep going. And you're going to see retail stores being um, more of a showroom and maybe a pickup spot too. Okay. A pickup mm -hmm. spot to pick up a package and return a package, maybe to ask some questions, maybe to look at sort of products where you don't have a lot of back inventory to your point. Maybe it's, you know, you're going to ship from a central warehouse. So the store is going to be redefined. Eventually, once things get better, stores will, will be going back to being more experiential with technology. But in the short run, it's going to be a little more functional because people just need to survive through this. So, yeah. you know, I would definitely say, you know, see what you can do in terms of running down your inventory, but you still need to provide quick replenishment for consumers because they're not going to be satisfied waiting two weeks because they can buy it from someone else who can get it to them maybe two days. I think this is the challenge for a lot of small business owners. It's always been a challenge, but especially now, it's like you've got to react to what's happening now. And I know a lot of people are trying to find ways to survive, but the, the real the real power in sustainability is thinking ahead, right? Thinking to the yeah. future about, well, how do you start to change now to be able to address that need? So you're not always in catch up mode. You, you, you start to get ahead of the curve. The other thing too, um, which might be in the section or another section is just about maybe looking to see if it's time to get an investor. So if you're really, really hurting, um, you know, and, and I know you don't want to do it. You love being your own boss and you can still be your own boss, but maybe it's time to get sort of a secondary partner who can inject some money into your business and give them part of it. Again, it's better than going bankrupt. It's better than going under is to have a partner to help you through that. Yeah. Huge. Okay. And sales and marketing. I know in the, the last piece you talked a little bit um, in our last segment, you were talking about the, the customer relationship, right? And, and the power that we have to show up powerfully for them right now and kind of speak to them at their level and understand that emotion and connection. How have you seen our marketing and promotion piece really shift through COVID? Well, what's happened now is um, almost all marketing is done now through social media. So people are sitting around the house um, and uh, they're on their smartphones all day and all night. And if there's any way that you can, and you can use it if you use, you know, Facebook or some of these other uh, Instagram, et cetera, you need to make sure you have a presence on there and you can actually do some very targeted advertising within your community. Um, so you might want to consider that. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you have everyone's email and send them email campaigns with offers. Don't send them too many because people get annoyed. 
but maybe once every week or every two weeks, you send them a reminder with some things. So keep in touch with them virtually like that. You can also offer maybe if, if you're selling higher end items and you need to walk people through it, you can do Zoom calls and things like that, virtual in, you know, store appointments right. and things of that nature to make sure that, uh, that they're there and that you can sell to them and keep connected with them. And I saw one example, which was incredible. You know, I saw this on TV a while ago and there was one small retailer and she owned a bakery and she made um, uh, bread that was gluten-free and she closed down. And what she did though, is she started baking loaves and dropping them off to her customers' homes, even without asking. She just started doing that. And it's just a huge outpouring where her customers literally in droves came to her store buying everything from her um, way more than they used to before because she was so good enough to bake a loaf of bread for them, deliver it to their home without any questions asked. And she built such an incredible loyalty with them. So this is the time to really go above and beyond. I know it costs a little bit in the short run, you got to balance that. But if you hit the right heartstring with your customer, they're going to be so loyal to you, they'll run through a wall for you, which means they'll buy everything in your store just to keep you afloat and pay you back for that goodwill. Mm, that's powerful. It, it, uh, it reminds me of an episode we did a while back where the, the message in this was how you show up for your clients now exactly. becomes your brand when COVID is over. Exactly. Right? That's a great like point. It's, it's what people will remember. And so um, yeah, that understanding their pain point and kind of meeting them where they're at. Exactly. hundred percent. Huge. Okay. Very valuable. Thank you, Bruce. You walked us through tons of tips there on the top line, the cost of goods, the operating expenses. Um, you know, I will just put in here. I, I, I will share this as we, as you get access to these um, to these funds that the government is putting out there, remember to include these in your budget, right? Because we do yeah. owe this money back. It is a loan. There is a forgivable exactly. portion yeah. in many cases, up to 20 with the SIVA, but it, if you access the 60, but it is a loan. So making sure that we're finding ways to, to be able to, to repay that. I don't know, Bruce, I don't want to put you on the spot with this. I'm just curious. I get a mixed reaction when I ask people this question. Mm -hmm. um, but do you know if a, if a promissory note is attached to that loan or is it only attached to the business and the entrepreneur does not is not responsible? That's a loaded I one. I don't think anybody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know enough about the accounting okay. on how it works. But I mean, I know that the government's going to be in a pickle and yeah. the optics around this, if they let a bunch of small businesses suffer and, and die, the optics around that are going to be brutal come voting time. So look for the government to sort of continue to open their wallet here to make sure that uh, people are taken care of businesses, small businesses are taken care of. All right, Bruce, you took us through some incredible information there, especially in the second segment where we we're talking all about the tips. I think everything we wanted to cover off in the third segment, we have actually talked about, right? We talked about so. um, finding potentially those equity partners. Yep. If you're going to find an equity partner, do the business plan, do the cash flows. Absolutely. You should be doing yep. cash flows. Yep. Um, and then again, just all those phenomenal top line tips. We didn't really talk about splintering. I don't know if you want to get into that a little bit, but splintering, what I've been seeing is just people breaking out a big ticket item and just offering a portion of it at a smaller, at a smaller price point. But um, that yeah, that's something been that's been around. I mean, that's something that I've noticed as a, as a trend sort of when times get tough and it could be even smaller portions of things. So, you know, the example, it sounds funny, but the example is back in the great recession you used to buy these big, chocolate bars that were like $1.50, well, people started coming out with sort of, you know, 70 cent little wafers 
So the, and, and the, the cold drink companies, instead of a big can of Coke, they came out with these mini cans. So I think you're going to see a lot of that as you're going to see maybe splintering is sort of where you take something and you sort of downsize it because people are watching their money a little more. And if you actually do it right, you can make more profit on those smaller items because the retail is greater than the difference in cost. Uh, I'm glad we I'm glad we talked about that because that that's a great example. I didn't even think about that in in the product line. So very smart. So again, Bruce, thank you so much for making the time to be here today and sharing Thanks that expertise. We've got a link to your book down below in the thank show you. notes. So retail before, during, and after COVID nineteen. Uh, you're okay with us putting your contact information absolutely in there, thank correct? You. Yeah. Thank you. All very right. Much. Thank you. And again, just a huge shout out to our episode champion, Community Futures of Manitoba. There were 16 offices to help businesses in Manitoba build their business, nail their bottom line. But Community Futures is a part of a larger network across Canada with offices from coast to coast to help grow entrepreneurs through this time. So thank you for all the work you do, Community Futures. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, founders, for watching. And as always, stay safe, um, stay strong, and stay financially fierce. We'll see you for the next episode of The Gap Lab. Bye for now.